Amen. You know, we talk about waiting for the Lord. And today's message, tonight, we're going to consider waiting for the Lord as we consider what He is building. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been talking about what the Lord has torn down. We've talked about how the Lord has, he has destroyed the wall of access that existed for those who were Gentiles and ultimately existed for everyone because of their sin. Last week we talked about how the Lord has destroyed the wall of hostility that has kept Jew and Gentile in, in, a, in a realm of hostility that it has kept any ethnic difference in a realm of hostility. And so as we looked at all these things the Lord has torn down, we, sooner or later we got to ask ourselves, well, what is he building? <laughs> what is he building? Tonight, we're going to see that God is building something so much better. Here, here's what I want you to hear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. God's word says this. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm so excited for you to be here today as we talk about what God is building, what God is doing in this world. And I guess the cheater answer tonight, the cheater answer when we say, what is God doing or what is God building? The cheater answer is God is building the church. But, but I give you the cheater version. I give you the cliff notes version to start with because I want us to wrestle with maybe the question that, every once in a while runs through your mind. Why bother being part of the church? Don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked it in your mind? Why? Why do I spend Saturday nights or why do I spend Sundays taking up time being part of this church? Why do I serve? Why am I part of a small group? Why do I do all these things when I can spend my time and my resources and my energy and, and so many other things? Why bother with the church? And then you can layer into this a little bit. Why bother with the church, especially since so many people, people have been hurt by the church? I mean, maybe you've been hurt by the church. You know, as I, as I meet with people and as I talk with people, it, it, it's pretty common. More often than not, I find that people have been hurt by the church. Sometimes the church is just so off track that it's like a runaway train just throwing people to and fro. Sometimes the church is well-intended, but in their in their good intentions, they have a lack of ability, they have a lack of awareness, they have a lack of biblical knowledge, and so they're, they're doing great damage. And so we, we end up finding most people have been hurt by the church. Many people have been betrayed by the church. And some of us maybe even have been abused by the church which just adds so much weight to that question. 
Why bother? <laughs> I mean, if you're part of the church, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. <laughs> if you're part of the church, there's a good chance someone is going to get close to you and they might betray you or they might hurt you. And every once in a while, they might even abuse you. Why, why would we even bother? You might be thinking, Mike, that's a great question. I think I'm just going to leave right now. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Here's why. Here's what I want you to see from tonight's passage. Here's why we continue to engage. Here's why we continue to be committed to the church. Here's why we continue to invest and, and commit our lives to the church. Because God is building something better. God is building something better by building the church. You know, I, want you, I want us to begin thinking about these questions. What is God doing with his church? What is the point of it? And then why, why should you be part of the church as much as possible? I'm not talking about just, you know, I come and I check the box on Sunday, Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. I'm not talking about, you know, once or twice a month I show up at church. I'm talking about the organism of the church, not the service. Uh, I'm talking about the people of the church, not the building. Why should we commit as much of our lives as possible to this thing called the church? I think tonight's passage answers that question. So if you've not opened your Bible already, would you open it up to Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to look beginning in verse 19, and we're going to answer these questions. And we're going to begin by answering these questions talking about you. Talking about what happens in your life, what God's doing in your life when you're part of the church. Let's pick up in verse 19, and here's what we're going to begin with. We're going to see that your identity has been flipped in the church. Your identity has been changed in the church. When you are part of the church by faith in Christ, you become something brand new. Let me show you. Verse 19. The Apostle Paul, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he starts with this phrase, so then, and we've become really, uh, we've become used to these, these transitional phrases, right? And so this phrase right here, it, it can be translated like, consequently, therefore. So he's saying, because of everything I've just shared with you, specifically in verses 11 through 18, about how the, the wall of access has been torn down, and about how the wall of hostility has been destroyed, how the hostility has been killed between Jew and Gentile, between ethnicities. He says, because of this... He says, consequently, therefore, because, because of the work of Jesus Christ in making it so you can be saved. Because of the work of Jesus Christ in making it so that the Jews and the Gentiles who hated each other can now be part of the church together. Or in our modern day world, we can use other ethnicities, right? We can talk about racial or ethnic tensions and how those have been killed in Christ so that it doesn't matter what color skin you have. So that it doesn't matter how old you are or how educated you are or what gender you are, male or free, female. So that doesn't matter. We can all be part of the church. He says, so then. So then. So then you are no longer. Look at these first two words. This is who we used to be without Christ. We used to be strangers and aliens. And then it continues. But you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. This is the result. The result is your identity has been radically changed. Let's let's talk about this change. See, you have gone from being a stranger to being a citizen saint. You have gone from being a stranger. Now, when we say stranger, we're not talking about like what you teach your kids about stranger danger, right? Like if someone pulls up and they've got a creepy looking van and they're offering your kid candy, you say, no, stranger danger. That's not saying what you were, although, I don't know, looking at the folks in this room, maybe a few, no. When it's talking about stranger, this is talking about someone who is passing through the land. This is talking about a foreigner passing through the land who does not speak the language, is not committed to the country. They're just walking through. They do not belong. This is saying this is who we used to be in God's economy. We were strangers. We were left out. This would be like someone walking through our country who has none of the rights of a citizen whatsoever. They can't vote. They don't pay taxes. They don't have any of the rights. They are, they are not part of our country. They would be considered a stranger. This is who we used to be, but who are we now? Look at this. We are now, my term, we are citizen saints. The text says you are fellow citizens with the saints. To be a citizen means you belong. To be a citizen, we're very accustomed to citizenship. Most of us were born as American citizens. But in the ancient world, to, to be a Roman citizen was a giant thing. To be a Roman citizen in that day, if you were a Roman citizen, you had this many rights. And if you were not a Roman citizen, you had no rights And when we think about this in terms of the Jews, the Jewish nation, they had this citizenship, which meant that they were part of God's promises. And so if you were a Jewish citizen, you had all of these covenantal promises. You had trust and relationship with Yahweh. And if you did not, you had none of them. You, in Christ, are now a citizen, not a stranger. You're not just passing through. In fact, you are citizen saints. It says, it says you are citizens with the saints. Now we saw all the way back in Ephesians 1, the saints. The definition of this, a saint, is anyone who is trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation. A saint is not someone who says, well, I go to church and I'm a pretty good person, so I think that at the, the final judgment, Jesus is going to let me in. A saint is not someone who says, well, you know, I've got a little bit of Jesus in my life and I've got a little bit of uh, Hinduism or a little bit of Buddha in my life and a little bit of good works in my life. No, a saint, you are a saint if you have trusted that Jesus and Jesus alone is your only way of being saved. I was talking to a friend this week and she was telling me her story She was actually telling me about her baptism story. She told me that when she was baptized in her early 20s, she she was like, I'm not sure if if that baptism was a biblical baptism. And I asked her, I said, let me me just pose this question. In In that time frame of your life, if I were to be able to go back in 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 time, right? I got Doc and the, you know, the what what is it? If I was to go back in time, if I was to meet you, and if I was to say, in that moment, if, if you were to die that day, would you believe you would go to heaven? Why would you go to heaven? 
And her answer was, I, I think that I would have been relying on my good works, that I've done enough. And I said, well, if I were to ask you that right now, in fact, I just asked her right now, I said, right now, what would your answer be? She says, I know I haven't done enough. She says, I know that my only hope is that Jesus died and rose again. And I looked at her, and I know from that answer that she is a saint. How about you? Have you gone from being a stranger, someone just passing through, maybe just passing through the life of the church, looking for whatever's better for you? Uh, have you gone from being someone who's left out of citizenship, and now because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, you are now a saint. You are now a citizen saint. Your identity has been flipped, if you have. Secondly, you have gone from being a foreigner to being family. You've gone from being a foreigner to being family. That second word, alien, says you are no longer strangers and aliens. This term alien is not referring to an extraterrestrial, right? Like E.T. phone home, right? I guess we're just doing 80s movie references tonight, right? This word alien, this is more like someone who is an alien resident in the land. This is, you're living in the land with a visa, you're not a citizen, you can't vote, but you're producing economically, you're engaging with the community, but even though those things are th true, even though you're in the same place, even though you might be doing the same job as a citizen right next to you, you are, you are an alien, you, you are, you, you've got a work visa, you've got an education visa. This is talking about that. But look at the transition. It says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints. And here it is, members of the household of God. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, understand what this is saying if you have trusted in Christ. This is saying you have gone from being someone who has a work visa in the land to now you have been adopted and your father is God the Father and you are part of the family. You're part of the family. You know, my, my son looks a lot like me. <laughs> my oldest, in fact, on Tuesday or Thursday, we had an event here with a bunch of people that have never met my son before. Some of them have never met me before. And as I met different people and talked to them, um, you know, my son was serving, he was helping with different things. And I, I'd point out to some of them, oh yeah, that's my son. And they were like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> he looks just like me. Uh, just a little less facial hair. He's part of my family. He looks like me. Some of his mannerisms, Lord help him, are like mine. <laughs> you are part of the household of God. You now are marked with an identity of the household of God, which means you, you look like God. Does this mean you have like this, the spirit that you float over? Like you're, you're, no, no, no. What does this mean? You look like God, your character, the way you live. You are no longer the foreigner. You are no longer the alien. This means your customs are no longer the customs of the country you came from, which we would call being one outside of Christ, living like the world, acting like the world. You don't look like that anymore. Now, who do you look like? You look like Christ. You are part of his household. 
Your mannerisms, your actions, your way of speech, the way you treat people, they, they don't act like the world. You live like Christ. Why? Because you're part of the household. You're part of the family. This is how dramatic of an identity shift has happened in your life. Now, if we were to go back to the first few verses of Ephesians 2, we remember even more about your identity being flipped, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were disobedient in your actions. You, your mind, you, you, you thought wrongly and you loved the wrong things. In fact, you were a child of wrath, but now you're part of the household of God. Why should you be part of the church? What is God doing in the church? Here's what God's doing. God is changing your identity completely. He is transforming you. And what you're going to see as we continue in this text, this transformation does not happen in isolation. This transformation does not happen with occasional church attendance. This transformation happens when you are in the church. Not the service, not the building, the organism, the people. This is what God's doing. He's flipping your identity. Let's keep going though. Verse 20. See, the foundation has been set for the church. If we're going to understand what God's doing, we need to understand this foundation. The foundation for a building, if it's a good foundation, oh man, you're going to have a great building. If it's a bad foundation, you're going to have, a, you're going to have some problems in that building, right? But I want us to see the foundation that has been set in the church. Verse 20 says, This household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself be in the cornerstone. Uh, just close your eyes. Get this picture, right? Paul's using some metaphors, and he's going to use different metaphors as we work through the text. But close your eyes. He says, this is the household of God. You are part of the household of God in this household. It is, it is, being, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This passage, it talks about the, the apostles and prophets, and then it talks about Christ Jesus. Let, let's talk about them. Let's talk about this foundation. First of all, the apostles and prophets. What is this talking to, about? This is speaking to the authoritative word of God that serves as the foundation for the church. When Paul is talking about the apostles and prophets, here's what he has in mind. The apostles in the first century, the term literally means those who have been sent out. Now, there's different ways you can understand an apostle. Someone can be sent out in different ways. But for Paul, those who were sent out specifically are those who have been sent out by Christ himself. So when you think about the apostles, you think about the 12 apostles, you think about those who were with Jesus in Acts when they have to find a new, uh, new disciple or a new apostle because of Judas and his betrayal and then his suicide, that, what's the requirement? This person had to have been with Jesus. The apostle Paul, he's an apostle. Why? Because Christ appeared to him. Because Christ supernaturally met with him. See, these apostles, they had an authority in their teaching. In Acts chapter 2, when they commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, they're committing themselves to not just a, you know, a warm, fuzzy devotion. They're committing themselves to what? The authoritative word of God. And then the prophets. 
Well, here he's talking about the New Testament prophets, but the New Testament prophets, they lived in line with the Old Testament prophets. And do you remember what the Old Testament prophet was required to do when they spoke for God? They were required to do it with perfect accuracy. 100% of the time, perfect accuracy. So today we live in a world that has all sorts of self-titled apostles. We live in a world that has all sorts of self-titled prophets. In our modern-day prophets, they, they don't have 100% perfect accuracy. They speak in generalities. They're wrong regularly. I've preached on this before. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. And they're not accountable at all. Our modern apostles are not apostles in the biblical sense. In their spheres of influence, they carry their authority, but it's, it's an authority that's disconnected from the Scripture. It's really built on what they want to see happen, not based on what God's Word reveals. In fact, oftentimes they'll set this aside completely and they'll just say, this is what I'm saying. And as an apostle, completely disconnected, completely untested against the word of God. That's not what Paul's talking about here. When he's talking about the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he's talking about a foundation that is built on the revealed and authenticated word of God, which serves as the ultimate authority. The church is, the true church has this as its foundation. This is, this is why, church, this is why we preach this word. <laughs> we don't preach Mike's great idea. This is why, church, we preach this word. This is why we go, generally speaking, verse by verse. This means that I can't skip the hard stuff. <laughs> This means that we have to look at this thing as the word, as our mirror, and over and over again say, ooh, uh, that one stings a little bit. Ooh, I don't match up right there. But then we conform ourselves to the word of God because that is our foundation. And this foundation has the prophets and the apostles as the foundation. But then look, it has a cornerstone. And look at the cornerstone. It says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, Christ is the cornerstone to which the whole church aligns. The entire church is meant to be built on the prophets and the apostles, but the entire church is meant to align with this cornerstone. Now, in the ancient world, the cornerstone is the most important part. It's what the entire building was built off from. It's, everything was aligned from that. Everything was built from that point. This was the key, play, uh, the key stone in the entire building. And, and for us, Christ is the cornerstone. What does it mean to, for Christ to be our cornerstone? Well, it means first and foremost, and this is contextual, that his finished work, that his person, and then his death and resurrection, that is the highest and most important truth. That's why we preach over and over again, Jesus died and rose again. Place your faith in Christ. Just... Verse 13, a few verses previously, it talked about how this access to God was accomplished. And here's the word it uses, by his blood. 
Verse 15, when it's talking about this dividing wall of hostility being torn down, it says, here's how it was done. Through his cross, his blood, his cross. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about his sacrifice. We're talking about Christ, the cornerstone, the substitutionary sacrificial lamb of God. We're talking about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. What what does that word gave mean? (laughs) It means Christ gave his life up, that he gave his only son. We're talking about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, for it is no longer I who live, but but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we say Christ is the cornerstone, listen, we're not making up who Jesus is. We're not pretending that Jesus is our BFF. (laughs) We're not acting like Jesus, he just wants me to be happy and be good. When we say Christ is the cornerstone, this is a cornerstone that has bled to save us. This is the cornerstone that the church is built from and the entire church aligns with. This means everything in the church must be measured by Christ and his word. I want us to understand how significant that is. I think about Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who was laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. See, this this stone, this tested stone, this proven stone is Christ. And so everything is measured from it. That means our morality, church, listen, our morality is measured by Christ. When the world says, live this way, When the world says, express your sexuality however you want. When the world says that an unborn baby does not count as a person. When the world says you can lie to get ahead. When the world says that arrogance is to be applauded. When the world says that those who are proud, uh, they get ahead in life. When the world says that greed is acceptable as long as it's benefiting you and your family, when the world says all of those things, all of those lies, none of those measure accurately to the standard, which is Christ. These next few words, I believe with all my heart, this means that a church that does not measure itself based upon Christ, even if it has the word church in its name, it is not a church. Now, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm not trying to point fingers. I just want to understand this text is teaching so clearly the authoritative word of God is the foundation for the church and Christ is the cornerstone. And if a church does not have that, it is not a church. It's built on the wrong foundation. It's not a church. I want us to understand the foundation has been set for the church. Paul talks about how he builds, and he, he does not build on any other foundation. His foundation is Christ. 
Our foundation is Christ. The prophets and the apostles, they're that foundation, but they're built out from Christ. Let's be very clear. This is why we're part of the church. This is why we commit to it. Because this is where life is found. This is where hope is found. This is where truth is found. And this is where the true foundation is found, which is the prophets and the apostles. Now, if we've got this foundation, this is this great foundation, and if we've got Christ as the cornerstone, well, then what happens next? What does this building begin to look like? Look at verse 21. Here's what we're going to see next, that this foundation has been set, and now you, you, you and I, you are being fit together for worship as the church. Look at verse 21. It says, in whom, in in whom, Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, the language here is, it's fascinating, this, this phrase, joined together, being fit together, this is, this is the imagery of masonry, right? And you got to remember, at first century, masonry was a little different than our world today. Masonry, they would, they would have to cut the stones to fit them together. They, they didn't just have like a, you know, a pallet of bricks they could go get at Lowe's or Home Depot, right? They would have to cut these stones. And so when it says that you are being fit together, it's talking about how each stone or each person, each stone is expertly shaped to fit into the church. You are being joined together. You are being fit together. You are being expertly shaped so that you will fit just perfect, just right, snugly into the church. Now, what, what exactly is being fit or being joined in you? Well, it's not our physical appearance. It's our inner appearance. It's our character. I, I understand this. this. This is awesome. Your character is being joined together in the rest of the church so that you pit, fit perfectly into the body of the church. Every once in a while, I meet someone and they say, you know, I feel like I just don't fit in in the church. You you know what your response to that is? Not yet. But give it a little time. Engage in the church family. Be part of this community. Here's what's going to happen. The reason you don't fit in is because you have some edges that need to be sharpened or shaved off. Or maybe someone else has, has some edges that those edges need to be shaved off. And you know what the Lord is going to use in their life? He's going to use you. And you know what the Lord's going to use in your life? He's going to use them. And as you both are fit and as you both are formed together, your character is shaped in such a way so that you're no longer lustful or you're no longer as greedy or you're no longer as arrogant or you're no longer as mean. And so because those things have been changed in you, you fit side by side with the rest of the church as you are joined together. This is a marvelous picture, church. You need to be shaped. You need to be, uh, you need to be changed. You are not perfect, right? Anybody here, if you made it yet, anybody here that would say, you know, your, your character, you just you nail it every day. God wants to use this body of believers to shape you. He wants to use this body of believers to change you. 
This is why, you know, we stream our services, but here's the deal. If all you ever do is watch our services online, you are not part of the church. You're not being shaped. You don't have anyone stepping on your toes and you're not stepping on anyone else's toes. You don't have to go and confess sin to someone and and forgive someone when they sin against you. You can't be shaped unless you're here together. This shaping is difficult. But I want you to notice this, this phrase, being joined together, you are passive in it. As you live your life, the Lord is shaping you. He is joining you together. This next part, though, you're active. See, not only is each stone expertly shaped to fit into the church, but here it is. Each stone is expertly shaped for the purpose of worship. The last part of verse 20, it says that it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This this church is meant to be growing This is the active portion. Now, in the New Testament Greek, there are two different words used for temple. And one of them is used for the the temple in general. It would be used to talk about what we talked about last week, like the court of the Gentiles, where Gentile people can go into, but they couldn't go any further in until that hostile wall was torn down. That's the first word. That's not the word used here. The second word when it's used in in the New Testament Greek, it's not used for the temple in general. It's used for the inner sanctum of the temple. The holy place and the holy of holies. That word is the word that's being used here. See, this, this whole body, it's being joined together and it grows into a, what kind of temple? A holy temple in the Lord. See, see, we are being fitted together for the purpose of being part of the innermost holy place, the place of uh, two, two key aspects. The first really is holiness. The holy of holies is not a place to be cavalier about sin. The holy of holies is not a place to be nonchalant about your character defects. The Holy of Holies is not a place where you just act like your sin doesn't really matter. The Holy of Holies is a place, a place where you go, and you go there knowing that you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You go into the Holy of Holies, not with a confidence of your own holiness, but with a confidence of the Lord's holiness, and then living, growing, being changed, being shaped, being joined together as your character is changed. This is the Holy of Holies. You are to be holy. But secondly, this is a place of incredible nearness to the Lord. This is a place where, where your intimacy with the Lord is experienced. You're to walk with Him. You're to know Him and be known by Him. You're to think of Him constantly. You're to rely on him always. You're to confide in him and confess to him. This, this holy place, this temple that you and I, that we are being formed into, we're not just these cold bricks on the wall. No, we are living. And as we live, we live in relationship with the Lord. How is the Lord joining you together in the church? What are the parts of your character that the Lord is, he is shaping 
and he is molding. And, and, and as he shapes you and as he molds you, are, are you growing not just in holiness, but are you growing in nearness to the Lord? Are you sensing his faithfulness? Are you trusting in his promises more and more? See, when we ask the question, why bother with church? Listen to this answer. You are being fit together for worship as the church. This is God's design. This is God's purpose. This is his plan. And this is glorious. This is good. But let's keep going. Our last verse here, we're going to see that that not only are you being joined or fit together as the church, but you are being formed together into God's dwelling place as the church. Verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, if you remember last week, the end, verse 18, we saw that verse 18 was very Trinitarian. We saw the Father and the Spirit and the Son all working together, this, this peace that we have with the Father. But, but I, want you to, I want you to notice, you have the same thing working here again. Can you, can you notice the Father and the Son and the Spirit all present in this text? Let me read it for you again. It says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is saying that God is building a dwelling place for him, which is the church. And he's doing this by the Spirit. And he's doing this in him, in Christ, in the Son. See, here's what we see. And and if you're following along in your notes, I'm going to go backwards. So in in the slides, I'm going to go with this last slide first. Here's what, what I want you to see. That by his Spirit, God dwells with his people individually. Now we know this. And this is a, this is a, very, uh, a very welcomed truth because we're a very individualistic society. It's not in your notes, but I think of 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I mean, this is incredible. This means if you are here and if you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, guess where God's spirit is? It's in you. And if the person sitting across the room has done the thing, the same thing, guess, guess where God's spirit is? It's in them. We all have one spirit dwelling in us. And we're really happy as individualistic people saying, God's spirit dwells in me. But this verse is not simply talking about the individual believer and God's spirit dwelling in them. Here's the previous point. I want you to see that in Christ God builds his people together as his church. Look at the text again. It says, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Here's the point that this text is making. Yes, God's spirit dwells individually in every believer, but here's the point of this text. That God is uniquely present when his church is gathered together. God's uniquely present. Does it mean he's not present with you alone in your prayer time? No, of course he is. But the point is that there is something special, there is something unique about the church. This church. 
You know, if you ask the question, what is God doing in this world today? You might find answers about missions. You might have people tell you stories of miracles. But you want to know the primary thing that God is doing in the world today. You want to know the most important thing God is doing in the world today. Here it is. God is building his church. This is the most important thing he's doing. And listen, is his church perfect? No. Is his church complete? No. In fact, his church is a work in progress. You know what his church is a lot like? You. (laughs) Are you perfect? No. Are you complete? No. But, but, But here's what I want you to understand. Here's where I'm gonna end. When you engage in the church, when you commit your life to the church, the church becomes more of what it should be. Let me say that again. When you commit your life to the church, the church becomes more of what it should be. But secondly, listen to this. When you engage in the church, when you commit yourself to the church, listen very carefully, you become more of who you should be. It's both and. When we engage in the church, the church is built. And when we engage in the church, we individually are built. So so let me ask you, what does this church mean to you? Is it, a, is it a service you go to? Is it a building you visit occasionally? Or is, is this your people? Is this your community? Is this a place where you be, are being fitted and formed, where you are being joined together as a unique display of the presence of God, especially when we gather like this. And we're going to conclude, just like we did last week, with sharing in the Lord's Supper. Part of why we're doing this is because the imagery is so vivid. We are one body. This bread is from one loaf. It's broken apart because we're all members of one body. And we all join together as those who share in the one covenant, who are part of this one spirit, ultimately this one church universally. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And and as they do, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I would like to invite everyone who is trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection. I would like you to come up and, and take the elements, grab the bread and grab the cup, and then take them back to your seat. There's going to be a moment of reflection. The team will will sing and lead us in a song. You're welcome to sing along or you're welcome to just pray. But but take this moment to do a couple of important things. First of all, take this moment to remember that in Jesus, your sins have been paid for. Through his death and resurrection, you have been forgiven and you have been made new. Also, take this moment to repent Repent of, repent of a, a non-committal attitude toward the church. Repent of half-hearted engagement. Repent of a lack of pursuing holiness, a lack of being fit and joined together, a lack of your character being shaped. And as you repent, prepare your heart for, with gratitude 
And after the song, I will come up and we will remember his body broken and his blood shed together. Let's pray and then we'll open the table. Lord, we are amazed once again at your incredible work. Your incredible work in saving us and your incredible work in changing our identity completely. Thank you that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but now we are those who are citizen saints and members of the household of God. Thank you that we are now part of this church, this household that is being built together, every one of us being joined together into a holy temple where we can we can be an appropriate place for your dwelling, for your presence to be uniquely apparent. And Father, we repent of our sin. We remember forgiveness. And we, we place our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ once again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.